Well, good to be with you again. I want to welcome you back to Longmont Church of the Nazarene online. Um, to the church family, just a quick reminder, because of the way we're having to do our annual elections this year, we sent you a ballot by mail, and um, you, we need you to turn that back in to mail it back, or if you prefer, you can drop it off at the church office, and we need those by the 30th. So we would encourage you, if you haven't submitted that already, to please do so as soon as you can. The other thing I'd like to say to all of you who are listening is uh, there's some light at the end of the tunnel on the coronavirus thing and some of the uh, requirements that we've had to abide by. Um, apparently, our our state, our governor, is making plans beginning this next week to um, allow some limited businesses to open, uh, things like that. Uh, there'll be some restrictions that they'll still be under, but they're beginning, beginning to loosen things up a little bit. So we're encouraged by that. We're looking forward to the day when we'll be able to be back together as a church family. And I want all of you to know that uh, I'm anxious to be together with you and to see your face, smiling faces again. Uh, it's it's been a real different thing um, not to be together on Sundays. Um, maybe it will give us a greater appreciation for what we have. I hope so. Uh, we'll be in the uh, book of Kings, 1 Kings again uh, today, uh, chapter 17. I'll be reading verses 1 through 7 if you want to locate that place in your Bibles and before I begin to share the message. I want to open with a word of prayer. Father, we come to you today with grateful hearts. You are good all the time. We are blessed in so many ways. I think about the beauty of this spring day. I thank you for the moisture we've had recently from the the spring snows. I thank you for blooming flowers and lawns that are greening up. I I thank you for the way our people in this church body are staying connected with one another and meeting needs as they arise. I thank you for the opportunity that this has created for us, Father, to impact others in our neighborhoods and in our community. And we know that there are people out there who are living in fear. They're concerned about what the future holds. And, Father, we all have those thoughts at times. But, Lord God, because we trust in you, those things do not have to weigh us down. They don't have to be something that distract us, something that is the focus of our lives. Because we trust in you. Our lives are in your hands. Our future is in your hands. But we pray that you'd minister to those today who are living in fear, who are uncertain, who live under a cloud of worry, we pray that you administer peace and hope to them. And we pray for those today who are still dealing with, in their own bodies, coronavirus. We heard of one just today, a nurse from our own hospital just across the street who has contracted the virus. And Lord, we pray for her and many others 
who are dealing with this, Lord God, that you be merciful, that you bring healing to their bodies. Restore them, we pray. And we thank you that our community has not been impacted as drastically as some others have across our state and the country, and we give you thanks for that. We thank you again today for the truth of your word and how it speaks to us right where we're at today in the situations and circumstances we're living with. And open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds. I pray to hear what you have to say to us today as we look at another incident in the life of Elijah the prophet. And Father, I ask these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, just a quick review, because this is a series on the ministry of Elijah, or we could say on the life of Elijah. Last week, we talked about the fact that Israel is now ruled by a wicked king and queen, Ahab and Jezebel. All Israel has fallen into idol worship and the immorality and violence that went along with that idol worship. And then suddenly Elijah appears on the scene. He was God's man for the time who acted, who obeyed, and did so because he trusted in God. And his message to Ahab is brief and succinct. First of all, he says, God is alive. Just in case you've forgotten that. Then he says, it is God that I serve. And then the third part of his message reveals how God is going to respond to the wickedness and rebellion of the king and his people. So Elijah makes this pronouncement to King Ahab. There will be neither rain nor dew in the next few years except by my word. Elijah spoke for God. And the dreadful proof would be in a terrible drought. Elijah's words to Ahab were not only a confrontation of his evil conduct, but also an outright attack on the power of Baal. This pagan god was sometimes called the storm god. He was the god of fertility, and it was his responsibility to bring rain, mist, and dew to the land so that it would produce. Elijah's fearless challenge was made out of his own steadfast confidence in God. It was as he knew that the Lord Jehovah who controlled the climate, not Baal. And it it was his God who could, at his pleasure, give or withhold beneficial weather. And now Elijah had said that there would be a devastating drought that would be proof positive that the pagan deity Baal was nothing more than a sham created by the fantasy of man. Now, day after day, month after month, year after year, there would be no rain, no dew, only burning skies, trees, crops, grass, livestock, And even people would suffer and die. And with that simple, direct statement, 
Elijah left the presence of the king. If his audience was skeptical, coming events would soon prove the authenticity of his message. And one can only imagine Queen Jezebel's reaction to the ominous words of God's bold prophet. Because of the wicked spiritual climate of the nation of Israel, anyone who dared to take a stand for faith in God was marked for liquidation. Jezebel was a violent woman who had been roused to fury by Elijah's daring affront. She would not hesitate to use violence to silence her antagonist. And now, because of his words and actions, Elijah was considered public enemy number one, and as such, would pay with his life. That brings us to our text today, again found in 1 Kings chapter 17, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 7. 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither rain nor dew in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. It seems that Elijah has now been sidelined. You understand what it is to be sidelined. When a player in an athletic event is taken out of the game... He has to come to the sideline. At that point, he's no longer an active participant. Elijah is now ordered to isolate, self-quarantine. He has received a divine stay-at-home order, except where he was told to go would not provide the comforts of home. He was to drop out of sight in the desert waste east of the Jordan River. This would be the ultimate in social distancing. The command to do this came from God. No doubt, with his brash, powerful personality, Elijah would have preferred to remain in the public eye, emerging from time to time to challenge evil and the false god Baal. But God's ways and man's ways are often radically different. Sometimes, positively opposed. God does not always use the spectacular, dramatic methods preferred by man. It is possible that Elijah did not foresee the danger he was in because of his confrontation with Ahab. And there was also the inevitable reaction of Israel's citizenry against the prophet who had announced the judgment of the, of the drought once the disastrous effects of the drought began to take hold. So Elijah is sent 
into desolate obscurity at the Kareth Ravine, where a brook cut its way through the dry, barren, treeless waste. I don't know what you picture as Elijah's surroundings, but they probably were not what you might envision. The brook Kareth was no crystal clear, babbling mountain stream. Kareth, or Cherith, depending on the translation you read from, means separation. And the word brook here would be translated more appropriately torrent or torrent bed. In other words, a ravine. It was probably a stream that flowed seasonally in the best of years. And as a result of rains in the mountains, it would at first be a torrent or a flood. But over time, that flood would gradually slow to a trickle until it dried up completely. Because the brook was seasonal, any vegetation that did exist was probably restricted to the banks of the stream and would have been spotty at best. There were no groves of palm trees to lie in the shade of, no dates, no coconuts or figs to munch on, and no clear, deep pools to take a refreshing dip in. There was no one to talk to in order to pass the lonely hours. There was only rock, baked earth, hot desert winds, relentless sun by day, and starlit skies at night. And there was solitude. As the name of the brook implied, Elijah was totally separated from human contact. So Elijah at this point finds himself right in the middle of a wilderness experience. He is isolated from the world in which he lived. Someone has said, life is God's great classroom. The wilderness is God's great place of training. Elijah now has nothing. He has no one. He finds himself completely dependent on God in this time of waiting. To him, it might have seemed dry and fruitless. It was as though God were now doing nothing. He had been placed on the shelf and forgotten for a while. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe you feel that way now. With self-quarantining, stay-at-home orders, limited or no contact with people outside the members of your own household, no worship gatherings, you may feel isolated, like you've been placed on the shelf. It may seem to you like a wilderness experience. The busyness that so occupied your time, the normal activities that were part of daily life have disappeared. With all these distractions removed, we can become attuned to God's voice. We learn, to, we learn to hear him when he speaks because our spiritual ears are straining to hear anything in the solitude. Wilderness is a time of increased dependence on God. We have to learn to depend on him as we never have before because in the wilderness... He's all we have. You see, in the midst of the barren wastes, in the isolation, 
The things that had our attention are now gone. Our focus can now turn to the only one who can provide for us in this environment. Then we read in verses 4 and 6 that God provided for Elijah. He drank from the brook and was fed by ravens that brought meat and bread every morning and evening. Now you might be thinking, well, that's pretty cool. It sounds kind of adventurous or maybe romantic or exciting. Well, it was none of those things. For Elijah to be fed by ravens was more humiliating and appalling than anything else. And we can only understand why why Elijah might feel this way in the light of ancient Hebrew culture and with a knowledge of the habits of ravens. Ravens are common birds found the world over on every continent. All through history, they have been regarded as omens of tragedy, misfortune, and death. In Leviticus, the Lord God declares ravens to be detestable birds. Therefore, in Hebrew tradition, they were regarded as unclean, contaminated, and an abomination, and arguably with very good reason. They'll eat almost anything, dead and decaying meat, rodents, insects, and rotten garbage. Consequently, they were viewed as absolutely disgusting. If that weren't enough, it was a well-known fact that ravens would store their food in cow dung to keep it from freezing in the winter. They will also sift through that same dung in search of tasty dung beetles. It is said that ravens are considered among the most intelligent of birds, but with their eating habits, one might question that. You could probably guess what Elijah was thinking with the arrival of the first delivery from the raven. Knowing their habits, he was probably wondering where that raven's beak had been prior to his visit with food. Something else that we should be aware of is this. Shortly before Elijah arrived, the drought had struck. The brook at Kareth, remember, was probably seasonal. So it would have been small by the time that, that Elijah arrived. And as the drought progressed, it would begin to shrink away. At a At one point, it would no longer flow, but would be limited to pools that would become warm and stagnant. In fact, it would eventually dry up entirely. So here we find Elijah living and drinking from a shrinking stream and being fed by black, nondescript birds with croaky voices and the disgusting habits of carrion eaters. You'd think the least God could have done was had his meals flown in by something more noble, like an eagle, or a quail whose eating habits were less questionable. Was this any way to treat God's prophet? After all, what had he done to deserve this? You can be sure 
that the visions of grandeur or feelings of self-importance that Elijah had about the prophet business disappeared by the brook. Now, all that the prophet went through sounds disgusting and unfair to us. All the more so if we believe that the life of God's child will always be comfortable and cozy. But that's simply not true. See, this experience was a course in advanced humility for Elijah. He was in a place of utter dependence on God. God was saying, Elijah, I'll protect you and care for you, but I will do so on my terms, in my time, and by my methods. God has the right to do that, you know, to grow us through humility to spiritual maturity. And he is in the process, in those times, of developing our inner resources. See, this was God's best will for Elijah's life. To us, looking on, it might have seemed like a wasted interval. In our, mind, in our minds, we might say, surely he didn't have to go through this. There must have been a better way. But God's ways and our ways are not the same. His methods of turning out tough, triumphant people are not the same as ours. And so I ask you this question. Are you feeling sidelined right now? Oh, you may not be in a desert wilderness by a shrinking brook, but your brook may be the isolation of your own home. It seems so many things that were a part of our lives are not there anymore. What good can this interval in our lives serve? In the busyness of our lives, with all the distractions that surround us, God sometimes sidelines us. He takes us to the wilderness by the brook, a place where he has our undivided attention, the place where we can clearly hear his voice. He has promised to feed us there. It may be something new for us, something we've never tasted before, or maybe it will be the bread and meat that we have feasted on in the past, but need to enjoy again. See, God wants to speak to us through the richness of his word. He wants to enrich our souls. He wants to build our inner resources. He doesn't want us to see this time in the wilderness by the brook as some sort of house arrest or detention. He wants us to see this as an opportunity. He wants us to see this as an opportunity to learn from him, to grow spiritually, to build our inner resources. See, for Elijah, the time at the brook was only an interval. God had something for him to do next, and he was preparing him for that. This time that we're living through in our lives, with the coronavirus and all that that's meant for us, is only an interval. God has us in an isolation at our own brook. It's probably not what we would have chosen. And we may have asked, what did we do to deserve this? 
But if we will stay and allow God to feed us, we will be prepared for what God has planned next in our lives and in our church. And I want to, as I close, I want to share with you this illustration from the book Through the Wilderness of Loneliness by Tim Hansel. He writes, The camel is one of God's funniest-looking creatures. Its peculiar shape makes it look imperfect and burlesque. It has long, spindly legs upon which there are two long feet and toes with no shoes. Its long neck holds a head that is too big and a nose that droops. But the thing that stands out most in the camel's odd poetry is the hump. The big, dumb, ugly hump, which is essential for its desert existence. For this is where the camel stores water, an internal oasis. In the desert, where more beautiful and streamlined beasts die quickly of thirst, the camel is designed for survival. When we, like camels, develop our inner resources sufficiently, we can cross every wasteland and survive arid times without relying on the external. Moreover, it is our hump, those times of silence, those hours of prayer on camel knees, that inner simplicity that we consider inelegant, these will eventually be our oasis in the desert. Folks, that's what God wants to do in our lives through times like this. We may feel sidelined. We may not like it. We may wonder why we deserve this. But it's a time when God is calling for our attention. He wants to do a work in us because he has something that he wants to do in us next. Pray with me. Father, my prayer would be today that rather resenting these times of isolation, these times of, of homeboundness, these times when we do, do not have the opportunity to connect with people in ways we have before, when we can't come together as the church body in the sanctuary to worship, Lord God, that we would not resent that time, but that our hearts would be open to hear the voice of your Spirit as you speak to us through prayer, through your Word, through the messages that we listen to, and even in those times of personal silence. Father, you want to equip us. You want to build in us inner resources that will make us ready to walk the through the next steps that you have for us. You have something for us beyond what we're going through right now. And you want to prepare. You want to equip us for that. I believe that's what you were doing in the life of Elijah when he was by the brook. I believe that's what you're doing in our lives right now in this time when we feel like we've been sidelined. And Father, I'm excited about what the next is. I'm excited about what it's going to look like when we come back together. I'm excited about what the fruit 
of our reaching out into our community, of ministering to those who are hurting or afraid or living under a cloud of worry. I'm excited about what that will look like as we've reached out and impacted people with the peace and the joy and the love of Jesus Christ. I'm excited about what that will look like for the church, for the kingdom. So, Father, help us to be content. Help us to be learners. Help us to have ears and hearts tuned to the voice of the Holy Spirit in these days. And then as we do, we know you will work in us to accomplish that, which will prepare us for what you want to do in our lives and in our church next. And for that, we thank you and we give you praise and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with us again today.